This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Feline. Feline is a lifestyle brand inspired by the mythology, power, grace, history, aesthetic, and the entire wild domain of all that is feline. Ooh, that's right up my alley. They are a woman-owned small business that provides a variety of creative goods and services, whether it's handcrafted brews and teas and herbal blends or unique delights like dream pillows or witch balls or magical apparel. It can all be found in the feline shop. And in addition to their creative goods and services, Feline also works in community outreach, helping to TNR, which is trap, neuter, return, and care for street cats in their travels around the world. In addition to that, the Feline blog is a publishing platform that regularly shares work of an educational, informative, or philosophical nature. Whether it's musings on art, travel, and culture, an exploration of the feline as an archetype throughout mythology, or interviews with fellow activists and contemporaries, it all can be found on the feline blog. So go check out Feline and do sign up for their newsletter to stay abreast of sales, creative works, articles, and all things feline. Find out about all of this and more at www felinebrand.com or at their Instagram at feline underscore IG. This episode of The Witch Wave is brought to you by Witch Digital. If you're a witchy small business owner, listen up. Are you trying to grow your business but are tired of feeling like marketing advice is written only for huge corporations? Do you wish there was a digital marketing agency made by and for people like you? Then let me introduce you to Witch Digital, a queer-owned team of marketing witches based in Virginia and NYC. Whether it's branding, a new website, or helping you make sense of social media, the Witch team has helped more than 20 small businesses in the past year alone achieve their goals. If you've been putting off hiring someone to help you with your digital marketing efforts, consider this your sign. It's time to take the first step by reaching out to the team at Witch Digital. Head on over to Witch Digital and note that Witch is spelled V-V-I-T-C-H and mention the Witch Wave to save 10% off your first service. That's witchdigital.com, V-V-I-T-C-H digital.com. Are you looking for a spiritual oasis to aid you on your personal evolution? Look no further than On Venus Botanica. Be your own guru. From ritual sets to starter altars, our intentionally curated and handcrafted products are all cleansed, blessed, and charged for your next best manifestation. Beginning June 19th, shop online at www.onvenusbotanica.com and follow us on Instagram at onvenusbotanica. Use the code WITCHWAVE23 to save on all of our tools and courses. The world is filled with bewitching people, and you might be one too. Welcome to the podcast where art is magic, magic is real, and reality is stranger than dreams. I'm Pam Grossman, and this is The Witch Wave.
Hello, and welcome to The Witch Wave. So many of you know that Matt and I have recently become homeowners for the first time in our lives. We now have this sweet little house in the Catskills, and we spend part of our time there when we're not in Brooklyn. And it's been such a blessing in so many respects. And it's also been a bit of a learning curve. And we're confronting things like repairs and renovations and just a whole host of experiences that maybe a lot of adults have had by the time that they're in their 40s, but which are brand new to us. And one of the areas that is totally new to me is that we have a little yard. It's just about half an acre And it came with some neglected garden beds and some lilac shrubs that needed tending to and a star magnolia tree, which at first I thought was a pussy willow. Pussy willow. (laughs) Any John Waters fans out there. Anyway, so we've owned this place now for about a year and a half. But the inside needed so much attention that we're only just now focusing on the outside. And at first, I felt a little bit overwhelmed because, look, I apprenticed with green witch Robin Rose Bennett. I love plants, and I come from a family of gardeners. My parents are gifted gardeners, and my grandma Trudy on my mom's side was a beautiful gardener who grew roses and tomatoes, and my grandpa Charlie on my dad's side was like the greenest of green thumbs ever. And so one would think that this would come naturally to me, yes? (laughs) Well... It turns out, I have a lot to learn. And I've come to realize that this is going to be a very slow, ongoing process. And that I can't possibly be quote-unquote good at it immediately. And it's taken me lots of research and watching YouTube videos and consulting with friends and family and the green geniuses who work at the gardening store and the Plantin plant identification app, which has been such a big help. But even with all of this assistance, one of the big takeaways for me so far is that I'm just going to have to try and enjoy the process and be patient. And patience is something that does not always come easily for me. When I was a little kid, my dad would have this little thing he would say to me since my name begins with a P. He would say, P is for patience when he wanted me to be a little bit more patient. I will say that this has evolved as I've gotten older. For many years as an adult, he changed it to P is for precious. And as recently as the last, I think, year or two, he's changed it again to P is for phenomenal. So that just gives you a little taste of how adorable my dad is. But also, it should emphasize for you that I am not always the most patient person. And this has been an ongoing development that I've had to cultivate and work on in my mind and in my spirit. And I keep saying, the house is here to teach me patience. 
the garden is here to teach me patience. This whole process of owning a home and getting to know the home and letting the home get to know us is just like this start of this hopefully long-term relationship. And those things take time. So it's, it's a really beautiful lesson that I'm learning over and over again. And I am learning, yes, of course, that I must be patient with the plants. And most of all, to be patient with myself. Because of course, it's going to take lots and lots of time and trial and error for me to learn all of these new things, even though I already have this innate desire and this real pull to deepen my relationship with this land and to make my own green witchery even more vivid and viridescent. And I've also come to the conclusion that I'm going to have to be okay with the fact that this garden is just one big experiment, that some things that we plant will bloom and other things just won't, and that the deer, which are so sacred to me, are going to sometimes munch on things, maybe on a lot of things. More on that in a minute. And also that I'm going to figure all of this out as I go. And that's a truly beautiful thing. I've started referring to our yard as the lab when I go out to garden. I'll literally say to Matt, hey, honey, I'm going to be in the lab for a while. And that language and reorientation has truly lightened my nerves and my heart around gardening a lot. Because having a spirit of experimentation and play and constant learning are all so much more fun than having this approach of trying to get everything right. Know what I mean? And so I've been enjoying it so much more now that I've freed myself up to just be curious and to just kind of play and try things. And here are some of my other gardening guidelines for myself. First, I've been planting things that have just felt magical and meaningful and beautiful to me and to us. Certainly, I've been mostly trying to stick to plants that are native to our region, and I've been trying to put them in the ground, you know, in a way that's certainly aesthetically pleasing, but that is far from being perfect and super manicured and hyper planned out. And to just follow my intuition as much as I'm following the facts and the research and the guidance that I have encountered. Secondly, and this brings me back to the deer, the goddess Artemis has been my primary goddess since I was a preteen. And this house is devoted to her. And deer are my favorite animal. And deer are Artemis's favorite animal. And there are just a ton of deer in our area and in our neighborhood. And there's this herd of them that visit our yard pretty much every day. And you know what? I absolutely love it. Now, of course, everyone I talk to in the area about gardening tells me that we need a deer fence if we want any hope of a glorious garden. 
and that, yeah, you can try to only plant deer-resistant flowers and such, but that that's really not great for biodiversity. And P.S., the deer will often eat things that are quote-unquote deer-resistant anyway, and so on and so forth, and I've heard it all, and I don't care, at least at this stage in the game. Because for now, and I will go on record to say that I reserve the right to change my mind, but for now, I want the deer to stay. They were here first. They truly delight me. And I'm okay with them eating some of our pretty plants. Now, maybe down the road, we'll do a smaller fenced vegetable garden or flower garden, you know, as like a subset of our yard. But I don't want to fence the entire yard. I don't want to kick them off this land, which I see as their land and Artemis's land. Not to mention the land of the Lenape who originally lived here. Of course, that's important to remember too. So I'm trusting my intuition that the deer and our plants and this home and me and Matt, we're all going to keep figuring each other out, which will take patience and magic and trust and a real sense of working with the natural and supernatural forces of this home. And so that brings me to the third guideline that I've set up for myself in regard to the garden, which is I've decided I'm not trying to win any gardening awards. And so our garden, we're going to try to keep it, you know, looking nice and hopefully not hideously offensive to our neighbors. But it is going to be a little more wild and witchy and scruffy and filled with divine imperfection. And that I'm going to approach and welcome that imperfection with love and care. Because as the magical filmmaker and gardener Derek Jarman wrote, quote, if a garden isn't scruffy, forget it, unquote. And so my currently green-brained self was particularly delighted to get to speak with today's guest, Priestess Stephanie Rosebird, about having this more spiritual approach to gardening and to developing relationships with plants, as well as so many other wonderful topics. And her words, both written and spoken, have really gotten me excited to keep getting my hands in the dirt. But before we get to that, first, let's check and see what's come through on The Witch Wire. Who is it? Witches! Elvira writes, My last familiar was deeply respectful of altars. My current familiar in training is very inquisitive, so I haven't maintained an altar since her arrival in January for fear of her getting hurt, chewing on something, breaking it, and stepping on shards, let alone catching on fire. But I'm seeing how not keeping an altar has negatively impacted my mental health too. It's very important to me. It's part of my faith. Have you experienced similar situations and found something that works? Tape doesn't. 
Thank you. Hi, Elvira. Oh, yes, 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 yes. This is so relatable. Because Monday and birthday, our current pair of feline familiars are way more pokey than our prior pair was. And so I had a bit of figuring to do for my own altar in Brooklyn and the situation, the kitchuation, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry, is mostly under control now. But in keeping with what seems to be the theme of this episode so far, I had to experiment. And that meant having the altar set up as it always was and just kind of seeing what they did. And I've come to learn that they really enjoy knocking off smaller items, such as my rings, which I take off every night to recharge on the altar. And so in that case, I found a beautiful little box to put them in. And this one happens to be a box that belonged to my grandma Sonia, and that our wedding rings were actually inside of during our marriage ceremony. And so, yeah, now I keep my rings in the box, and then I keep that box on the altar. And the kitties seem to leave it alone now. I also have so many different items and objects on my altar. I'm kind of a maximalist witch. And so they seem to avoid most of it now because there's just not a ton of room for them to walk on. And so I wonder if that's a useful piece of information for you too, though of course every animal is different. Now in my experience, cats tend to keep away from fire. Again, perhaps not all of them. But you might want to try lighting candles and then just being super vigilant when the kitty's around and just observe and see if she keeps away from it or not. And obviously quickly snatch her away if not. But honestly, we should all be vigilant around lit candles anyway, right? And put them in fireproof containers and don't leave them on when we're not nearby, etc, etc. So hopefully this won't be too big of an adjustment. But if your kitty does end up being a fan of pyrotechnics, then yes, you will have to come up with an alternative way to distract her or keep her out of the room when you're burning candles or to come up with an alternative to candles of which there are many. Now, there are some scents that cats are supposed to not like and certain things you can get at the pet store and spray um, that's supposed to keep cats like off of, you know, scratching your couches and things like that. So you can always try that. Um, There are certain oils and, you know, different smells. Um, Again, a quick Google should help you with that. But I have to say that I remember that when we were first trying to keep our kitties out of our houseplants, The internet told us to put orange peels in the soil. It insisted that cats hate orange peels. Well, someone neglected to inform Monday and birthday of this because they could not give a shit about the orange peels and they kept digging anyway, just around the peels or sometimes they would dig the peels up out of the pot. And so eventually I just put a lot of larger rocks and crystals on top of the soil. And that has mostly done the trick and looks beautiful in this whole new way. So I would say oftentimes things that feel like 
their little problems, if you can come up with an alternative solution, the solution is often even more beautiful or can really enhance your magic in a new way. So don't be too attached to what your altar might look like and figure out how you can work with your kitties. let's just call them limitations. And if none of this experimentation is effective for a tabletop altar, remember you can always have a shelf that you hang and use as your altar that's high up out of the kitty's jumping range, or that has a lid or a door that you can close when it's not in use. Portable altars are also wonderful, whether that's something you keep in a closet or a drawer and then just take out on a tray when it's time to do your working, for example. Now, I'm a big fan of a mini altar, like one you can make in an Altoid tin or shoebox, but truly altars come in all forms and can be made anywhere and in any way, so I'm confident that with a spirit of experimentation and innovation and openness, you'll be able to come up with a solution for a familiar, friendly, alternate altar. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, thank you so much for your question. Lots of love to you and your kitty. And do let me know how it all goes. Now, on to my guest. Priestess Stephanie Rose Bird is the author of numerous books of magic, including the COVR award-winning Sticks, Stones, Roots, and Bones, as well as The Healing Power of African American Spirituality, A Healing Grove, Four Seasons of Mojo, 365 Days of Hoodoo, and her most recent book, African American Magic, A Modern Grimoire for the Natural Home. She also illustrated two of her published books and is the illustrator for the upcoming book, Motherland Herbal, which will be out in 2024. Priestess Stephanie is a black magic maker and healer, and her writing brings to the fore her eclectic practices combined with her passion for mythology, folklore, and fairy tales from around the world, but especially of her ancestry, the African diaspora. She is an accomplished fine artist with works in major collections, and she has exhibited in numerous galleries, universities, libraries, institutions, and programs, such as the Arts in the Embassies program where she is being exhibited at the U.S. Malaysian Embassy in Kuala Lumpur. A Fulbright senior scholar, Priestess Stephanie did her fieldwork in anthropology and art in Australia, studying in various Australian Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities in the outback. A former professor of fine art at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, she has been interviewed on PBS, ABC7 News, BBC London, NPR, WBEZ, in the Smithsonian, and many other venues. Priestess Stephanie joined me from her home in Illinois via Zoom. Priestess Stephanie Rose Bird, welcome to the Witch Wave. Thank you, Pam. It's so nice to meet you. It's so nice to meet you. I've been a fan of your writing from afar, but this is a real honor, and I'm so pleased that you're oh. able to take the time. 
I'm honored. Thank you so much. Thank you. So we have so much to cover. I have pages of notes here, but I also trust both of our intuitions as magical humans. Yes. I thought I would start us by talking about your new book, which is called African American Magic, A Modern Grimoire for the Natural Home. Yes. I understand that this is kind of a resurrection of some earlier work. And so I'd love to invite you to talk about this book and how you conceive of it. So it's very interesting. It was Four Seasons of Mojo, and it came on the tale of Stick Stones, Roots, and Bones. I don't usually write my books that close together, but those two are two years apart. Mm. And I'm sorry if I have to backtrack a little bit to contextualize the Four Seasons of Mojo. We love context. Keep going. Okay. <laughs> so we have had wonderful encyclopedic tunes on Kudu from a long time ago, the 1930s and 1920s and that. But having a more popular sort of hands-on or book on hoodoo was kind of a new thing at that point. Mm. There is a huge flux of hoodoo books today, but then there was not. That was one of the first, particularly coming out of the African-American community. Sure. So then I wrote Four Seasons of Mojo because I am a hoodoo, but I'm also an eclectic practitioner. I practice shamanism, I practice green witchcraft, several different things. So I wanted to be able to stretch and flex a little bit of my knowledge and my passion with readers. Some people coming out saying, oh, that's not hoodoo, mm. because the word mojo was in the title and things like that. And one particularly vociferous white hoodoo was very against my work and had her minions take up arms against my work. Oh, no. Scandal. Yeah, it was a scandal. And I don't like to dwell on negativity, so I will not. But just to say that I think that book came out like <laughs> it had a little bit of a hard time. Plus, I just think today is its time and its moment as a African-American specialist in African-American spirituality and just the natural home aspect. It was very new then as well. Yes. Make your own floor washes. What are you talking about here? Right. I don't feel like it had the reach or reception that I hoped for. Maybe it was ahead of its time. I think it was. Yeah. Yeah, I was really appreciative. And now, more recently, I've had people write to me from as far as Greece saying, how can I get Four Seasons of Mojo? And I've seen it for sale for over $200 on different websites. So yes, yes. yeah, it has come into its own again. So I was really happy when Red Real Wiser decided that they wanted to refresh it and reboot it, the new cover, new title and that kind of thing. Yes. Can I just ask you to clarify something? And I'm not looking to dredge up the scandal again, but you brought up one of the issues was with how you were using the word mojo. Yes. I'd love for you to clarify what do you mean when you use the word mojo? Because we've had other guests who are practitioners of hoodoo who yes. use the word mojo in certain ways. I'd love to know how you're using that word. Okay, so using it at that time on that book, I still meant four seasons of energetic magic. Yes. 
my 365 days of hoodoo, I feel really lays out hoodoo and gets into its intricacies and gets into the philosophy of hoodoo. If you would like, at a certain point, I can share with you what I have written on Mojo, not obviously the whole chapter, but I have a little tiny excerpt that I can share with your listeners. Priestess Stephanie, would you like to do it now? Sure. Yeah. Why don't you read what you wrote? Even easier than you having to reinvent the wheel, huh? Yes. So, contained within hoodoo is a broad-based knowledge of workings of nature and the environment. Beneath this umbrella, there are spirits, humans, animals, plants, stones, metals, deities, the ancestors, and the elements. Then there is a conglomerate energetic force called mojo. Mojo is of the soul, it has soul, and it impacts and reflects and feeds upon it. Ooh, I love that feeds upon it. That's really evocative. And now I know that in this new book, African-American Magic, which, as we've stated, is a reboot of an earlier book of yours, you also talk about Mojo as being the amuletic item, the bag of magic that hoodoo practitioners carry with them. Oh, you're showing me a beautiful Mojo that you have on your person right now. Do you also use then the word Mojo to describe that type of magical object? Yes. But the bag is a little bit different because our mojo bag is like a medicine bag in indigenous American world or a shaman's bag in parts of Africa. Mm -hmm. It is a unique conglomeration of power objects that are put in there as talisman, as ambulance, as a lot of sympathetic magic going on inside of the bag. Yes. This one looks very Jamaican because this is only a covering for my bag. I'm so private, actually, about my mojo bag that you can't even see it. This is the holder for it. And I just fed it before coming to talk with you. So it's well fed. Mm, We don't want a hungry mojo bag. (laughs) (laughs) Understood. Understood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's another term that you write at the beginning of African-American magic, and this is a term that a lot of the Black witches in my coven say, which is the phrase ashe. Yeah. And I would love to hear your interpretation of what that word means, because mm-hmm. often when I'm in circle with my coven mates who are from all different lived experiences and backgrounds, some of us say blessed be and some of us say ashe. And so what do you mean when you say ashe? Ashe is a universal energy force. Again, in 365 Days of Hoodoo on page five. This is what I have to say about it. Yes. Our mother, Earth, is imbued with spirit in her plants, stones, trees, animals, and minerals, as well as natural phenomena like lightning, rain, and natural bodies of water. This universal energy force is ashe, or ase, when you speak of its words. Ashe is affirming and speaks through divination signs and dreams. Ashe can cure cause malaise and protect. Mm. You know, I really like to sing Ashe songs and I was doing that before our interview. For some reason, my voice drops into this really low register and I think it must be some of my male ancestors coming through me, but we sing Ashe. 
I was just in a big gathering of women down south in Tennessee, Sacred Waters Retreat. Mm. And I saw the word being used akin to, don't kill me, but how you would use the word amen. Right. Ashe. Exactly. I love it. Mm -hmm. Yes. I'm one of the OGs of the Ashe word. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It came through to me through my ancestors and my research. And I was like, yeah, people need to know about this. Fabulous. It's so, so gorgeous. Thank you for explaining that to me. Yeah. You know, Ashe is just used that word evocative earlier, and it's truly evocative. And it has multiple meanings and different meanings to different people in different situations. But it is a affirmation. It is generally used in a very positive sense, and it sort of pulls up power. Mm, Beautiful. And is that derived from West African tradition, Yoruba? Yoruba word. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. So let's focus back on your book, African American Magic. Yes. It's divided seasonally. You start with Mm -hmm. winter and then you carry us through the entire year. Mm -hmm. And you're giving the reader recipes, different deities to work with, different traditions and rituals that they might want to incorporate in order to live more naturally. And I would say more supernaturally. Is that fair to say? Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Love it. One of the conceits of the book is also that this magic that you're talking about is the magic of the home. Yes. And actually, let me quote you. You write, In the home, the practical, also referred to as the mundane, and the spiritual, which may also be sacred, merge. So can you expand on that a little bit? Why did you want to center the magic of this book on the seasons and on the home? Firstly, the seasons I'm thinking about are seasonal in terms of weather or the wheel and that kind of thing, but also seasons of life. So the maiden, the mother, the crone. Mm. And I was like heavily into my mother's stage. In fact, one of the pieces that I include in the book, I am early pregnant with my only daughter. So really different stage of life. I just thought, My hearth was everything. I don't mean to put it in past tense because I still do a lot. But when you have little ones at home, children, there's a lot of energy that goes into feeding them physically and mentally and spiritually. So I could see all of this like, this is the place, this is the location geographically of the merging of the spirit and the mundane. Mm. That's why I wrote about it. (laughs) I love that. I love that. How old are your children now, approximately? Oh, my gosh. My youngest is 24 and my oldest is 37. So it's a while. Wow. Yes. So how does it feel to revisit this book at a later stage of your life? It feels a little poignant, but also mm, there's a rightness about it that captures that time. And I am loving revisiting it. I look at African-American Magic, my book. To me, it's one of my lyrical works. The 365 Days of Voodoo, each one of them has their own different characteristics. Six Stones, Roots, and Bones is very eclectic. And 365 Days of Voodoo, I feel, is very philosophical. And it's also one of my more traditional works. So they each have their different flavor. But 
I think African-American magic, I would have to call lyrical. Mm. And that's one of my favorite words. And I agree. There's such beauty and poetry in the writing of this book. Absolutely. Absolutely. And speaking of language, you use the word grimoire as the subtitle of this book, a modern grimoire for the natural home. And that's one of my favorite words as well. And we've talked on the podcast before about how grimoire is related to grammar and language. What else does that word grimoire bring up for you? And why did you want it to be on the cover of your book? So I am a trained visual artist and I've had many, I still do, sketchbooks and they are a place that I feel more comfortable actually than journaling because I can capture the world visually. With a grimoire, it's another part of me that likes recipes, rituals, spells, and the particulars of recipes even. I did it on a cloudy day and my soap was like XYZ, really taking like scientific notes. With it being put on the cover of the book, A Modern Grimoire for the Natural Home, I was hoping that my readers would create their own grimoire to go along with their reading of the book. Like they'd say, well, I tried this recipe, I was feeling this kind of way, it turned out beautifully, or I think I have to go back into it and add more rose water this time or something like that. Yes. It's a book and a workbook at the same time. Mm. I love that. On that note, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you looking for a magical place to shop and hold space? Check out Ritual and Shelter in Homewood, Alabama. Ritual and Shelter aims to normalize the taboo topics of witchcraft, sex therapy, and plant magic through a vast variety of reading material, magical tools, and networking opportunities. With over 600 books on a wide range of topics, customers are welcome to sit in the store's reading section as they browse through historical manuals of spellcrafting, witchy women's biographies of magical societal movements, or reading modern perspectives on occult philosophy. And if you find yourself in Ritual and Shelter's reading area, you might as well check out their tarot selection. With over a hundred different tarot cards and oracle decks, each customer has the opportunity to find a divinatory system that is just as unique as they are. And if you're already in the mood to get a tarot deck, why not pair it with a crystal? At Ritual and Shelter, you will find a variety of ethically sourced stones and minerals. From pocket stones to pyramids, selenite skulls to tourmaline towers, Ritual and Shelter will go out of their way to make sure you find just what you're looking for. And as a sex-positive space, you'll also find high-quality sacral chakra stimulators guaranteed to get you in touch with your personal power. Now, if you're not in the area and you're not able to check out the Southern Gothic charm of Ritual and Shelter in Homewood, Alabama, no need to fret. You can visit their website, ritualshelter.com, to find all of the glorious products mentioned, as well as tonics, tinctures, teas, and brews. 
But if you are lucky enough to pass through their town, you are in for quite a treat. As a smaller and newer store, Ritual and Shelter aims to have face-to-face personal connections to create memorable and in-depth experiences. Walk into a space right out of a gothic renaissance novel, ooh, that sounds gorgeous, with walls as black as night, lined with shelves full of herbs, black chandeliers of the darkest elegance, and two private rooms for the witchiest of activities. And if you're lucky enough to show up on a full moon, Ritual and Shelter holds gatherings at every espit for community rituals and ceremony. So go ahead and lather up that flying ointment and travel down to Ritual and Shelter in Homewood, Alabama. The Witch Wave is sponsored by BetterHelp. Balance is something that I'm always striving for, and I imagine you can relate to that. There is so much to keep track of between looking after other people and looking after ourselves, and striking a balance between that inward focus and that outward focus is so important. When we don't and we're only focused outward, it can leave us feeling stretched really thin and burnt out. This happens to me more often than I'd care to admit, and I know you can probably relate to this. But finding that balance is replenishing, and therapy can help us find that balance. It can give us the tools that we need to find more balance in our lives so that we can keep focusing outwards and doing our work and showing up for other people without leaving ourselves behind. Along with witchcraft, therapy has been a crucial aspect of my self-care, of me finding that balance in my life. I've been in therapy for decades and decades, and I can't say enough good things about it. I truly wish I could wave my magic witchy wand and give everybody access to therapy because it is so important and so transformative. It has made me feel less stressed out less out of balance, and more in tune with who I am and what I need so that I can be more present and creative and give more and not burn myself out constantly. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and is designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited for your schedule. And all you have to do to get started is fill out a brief questionnaire in order to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge to make sure you find someone who's the right match for you and the balance that you need. Find more balance with better help. Visit BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp.com slash WitchWave. Hi, WitchWavers. I have exciting news. At long last, we have some new WitchWave merch available for you now through Public. We decided to go with TeePublic for our new Witchwave merch because it is a print-on-demand site, which means you can get different variations of the Witchwave logo printed on t-shirts, mugs, totes, stickers, magnets, notebooks, oh my gods, the sky's the limit! 
And the shirts come in different styles and fabrics and colors and are available in sizes small through 5XL, so you can order whatever you'll feel you're most magical in. So head on over to witchwavepodcast.com slash shop. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today I'm speaking with Priestess Stephanie Rose Bird. So Priestess Stephanie, there's a part in your book, there are many parts, Me, myself, obviously, I come from a different background than you do, but there was a lot that I could relate to here. And you have a line in the book that just like made my cells hum. You write, after living in the inner city with barely a tree over five years old, having a yard, however barren and small, is emancipation, which is so powerful. And My husband and I were blessed enough to be able to buy a little house upstate. It's a little, little house. Mm -hmm. And so for the first time in my life, I'm in my 40s, I'm learning how to garden. Yes. And I studied green witchcraft with Robin Rose Bennett. So I love herbs and flowers and plants, but like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And yet I feel so free when I'm out Mm -hmm. there. And so I would love to hear you speak about gardening as a magical practice because you write about it so beautifully in this book. Thank you. First of all, you get your endorphins up because you are moving your body. And then when you tilt your hands into Mother Earth and pull back, whether it's to pull a weed or plant seeds, there's just something delicious and delightful about it. We just started our planting over the last couple of weeks, and it's really something. One of the magical things that I have seen happen, and I've read about this, but then it started to happen to me, which is that certain weeds or plants even from other yards, the seeds will blow into your yard. They come for the witch. They come for you to be with you. Ooh. Yeah, I had mugwort for the longest time. I had so much mugwort and I would tie it up and make smudge sticks out of it. Yes. Now I have soapwort. I'm in my work desk right now. So to my right, right out the window where there's no getting around it, there is a plethora of soapwort. Mm. And I'm a soap maker. And it reminds me, make soap. <laughs> yes, Get busy. yes. I think that there's magic in many different ways. Certain plants remind me of different members of my family. I also use plants to evoke place. I'm from back east. Now I'm in the Midwest, but I want some of my eastern plants here. Yeah, there's just so much to it. And it's really something. And it seems like the older you get, you see a lot of old gardeners. You know, you see a lot of people. (laughs) These are my roses. Get away. My approach to the garden is, yes, I'm being, you know, a little bit researchy and watching YouTube videos and reading books. But I'm also really following my intuition and planting things that are meaningful to me on a magical level or have personal Mm -hmm. associations or, to your point, associations with my family, my ancestors, different places I've lived. And you write so beautifully in your book about your approach to, would you call it spirit gardening? Is that a phrase? Yeah. And I wondered if you could read a passage This is on page 26, where you sort of lyrically describe the things that you bring to your garden. So, lullabies at night for the little one. 
Sunny daffodils by day to light the way for the boys. Purple pansies, mama's color, and flower in her memory. Hope for the healthy birth of the little girl growing within my still flat belly. Sunflowers, narcissi, and a variety of botanical tulips for my grandmothers. Negro spirituals as a tribute to grandpa. Shiny pennies are tossed for luck. Yarrow for my ultra-strong great-grandma Louise. Sensual bourbonnaise roses for my dear Aunt Rose. Daily water and fire rituals for clarity, strength, and protection. Columbine spring song for my second mom, Iris, who radiates gentility, power, and grace. Rites of fertility, recipes for continued health, creativity, and the infinite capacity of love. These are anchored by a round can of stone, symbolic of my soulmate. Mm, Splendid. Thank you so much. And I think what moves me so much about that is when I was first starting to garden, I got very anxious because I was like, I have to get this right. I have to learn how to germinate Mm -hmm. seeds. And oh, no, which of these plants are, quote unquote, weeds, which P.S. my teacher, Robin Rose Bennett, would say there's no such thing as a weed. (laughs) But anyhow, and then I was like, wait a second, I'm a witch. I can trust my intuition and not try to control things so much and also work with the magic that wants to emerge. And some things I'm sure I'm going to plant and maybe that's not the home for them. So they won't come and other things will come and surprise me. And it's a long term romance that I'm beginning, right? Do you have any other words of wisdom for me and other anxious gardeners? Yeah, just like I said about the organic nature of gardening, certain plants are going to just die on you. For me here, I can't grow my holly, which is very reminiscent of home. I can't grow lavender, but just sort of go with, you know, we're talking more and more about local and seasonal, but definitely go with what will grow for you. As you go along, you'll find it, you'll find out. I feel like my plants are very mystical. I have a Chicago Peace Rose Mm. in the front. It's incredible this year. And I have an Olivia Rose for my daughter named Olivia. Ah, beautiful. Yeah, I saw a voodoo. I don't really believe. I believe in voodoo, but voodoo is sort of a made up name. Mm -hmm. But when I saw it, I was like, oh, must have that. But it's sold out. Just go with your passions and it's pretty painstaking. It takes a lot of watering. It's not like just throw it out there and there it goes. Every day, it sort of needs to be touched. Mm-hmm. Like when you're writing a manuscript, same thing. You have to touch it daily or it starts to dry up and blow away. Yeah. 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 Thank you. Thank you for that. Very wise words. So speaking of plants, You write in African-American magic about a lot of different ways to work with plants magically. Certainly some of it is about what we can grow in our gardens. But can you also touch on the kinds of plants that you're using in your root working and other hoodoo practices as well? Yes. And some of them are really different. Like some things you can grow. I have grown broom here in my yard. And it's incredible because it's taller than the tallest sunflower. It's really tall, has very odd roots system. But I grow it because I don't have like a farm where I can really grow enough to make like a full broom. I still symbolically use my broom from the garden. We 
Pai John the Conqueror a lot. Yes. And I'm sure spoken with other hoodoos, you know that it's symbolic of freedom. It's symbolic of self-determination and not giving up. It's a kind of a plant that right now, as we approach Juneteenth, I reflect on and think about a lot. Peppers, you know, hot foot powder. And I had an amazing show of hot peppers in my garden. And it's just the gardening term for those of you that don't garden. It's not like an exhibition. It's just that they bloomed in mass beautifully. Mm-hmm. I try to avoid things that are not environmentally friendly or that are getting fragile or endangered. And I do write about that in most of my books and in African-American magic, for sure. Yeah. You brought up Juneteenth. And I'm also mindful of the fact that we're entering the summer. Summer solstice is around the corner as well. And since this is a seasonal book, What are some other practices or magical rituals that really excite you to start celebrating around this time of year? Yeah, I find that right now and moving forward, I'm going to be bringing flowers more intensely into my life. Ooh, I love the sound of that. (laughs) Yeah. Before we spoke, I sprayed this whole area and myself with rose water Mm. because it's so peaceful and just so lovely. I'm sitting with some peonies from my garden. Wow, those are beautiful. (laughs) But the other thing that I'm doing a lot, and I will do even more so as the summer moves along, I'm wearing flowers in my hair, like a wreath. That's what I wore when I spoke in Tennessee. Gorgeous. And it stayed alive for me. It's still alive. So that was for me, the baby's breath. Whatever baby's breath is trying to tell me, it's telling me something because it's staying alive for me. Wow. I'm like, dry, dry. You must dry so I can enjoy you that way too. But it's alive still. Wow. I just like to engage in the life like what is going on right now, bringing it in close to me like this is my work desk, spraying it on me, spraying it on my chair, just being in touch with Flora. Yes, I love the goddess Flora. So why do you think it's important for people to work seasonally? What kind of magic does that bring a person? It's really important to stay seated, grounded and centered in where the planet or your locale is at the moment. I think that If you don't do that, you're going counterintuitive. And I don't think that what you are doing will be as blessed as Mm. it will be if you stay in to the season. Mm. I remember I was actually in my 20s. I am embarrassed to admit before I realized, oh, fruits have different seasons. Like I was just used to getting whatever fruit I wanted at any time of the year. You know, I grew up in New Jersey like you. I'm a Jersey girl and I've lived in New York City for my whole adult life. And so you can kind of get whatever you want. And then I realized, oh, wait a second. If I eat seasonally or if I get flowers from my area that are in bloom now, et cetera, it just feels so much more potent and so much more energetically resonant. Which area of New Jersey were you in? I grew up in Monmouth County, so central New Jersey, half an hour from the shore. We call it Bruce Springsteen country. He's always singing about us. (laughs) (laughs) What about you? So I'm from South, like really into South Jersey. 
near the Pine Barrens. Ooh, talk about magic. Mm-hmm. I'm writing a Pine Barrens series of novels. Is the Jersey Devil going to be in your novels? Of course. Of course. For me, in my experience, my family, we were, I think maybe by economics or something, we were more forced into being seasonal. We picked crops on the big fields after the tractors would leave. We would come in and pick things. We did massive canning and freezings of peaches and berries and things like that. So we were very self-sufficient and it was all built around the seasons. Hunting season for the venison. Mm. My dad fished all of that kind of stuff. So we lived really close to the land. Yeah. And did you appreciate it at the time? Or were you like, dang it, I wish we could just go to the grocery store or like everybody else? Oh, gosh. I mean, like snapping string beans or green beans, as people call them as well. It was brutal, like doing a bushel of those, like as a eight, nine, 10 year old, it just felt like the end of the world. (laughs) Like one of those endless bowls of oatmeal or something like, when is it going to go down? So I felt shame around it. Mm. I felt definite envy of, you know, we would go to Philadelphia every now and then, the big city for us, because we were about 75 miles away from Philadelphia. Sure. Yeah, I was like, oh, this is it. This is where it's at. And now, even as I grew older, though, like I think by the time I was about 16, 15, I was writing poetry. I was doing lots of dancing outside of my home in front of the trees. So Mm. I was already at that point getting into it. But earlier on, like when I was young, younger, I was like, oh, except for swimming. Yeah. The lake was our front yard. So I swam a lot. That was very magical. Yeah. It sounds like a beautiful way to grow up. And I imagine retrospectively, you probably appreciate it so much more. (laughs) But I can imagine being a little kid and being like, uh, can we just get our peas from like the fruit aisle, (laughs) veg aisle? Come on. Or something. Green giant was real big there. So (laughs) yeah, I learned so much. I was talking recently to an African-American woman and she was very timid about gardening and just full of questions. And I talked to her about three or four years ago and she was the same way. So this time it's hard for me because I grew up like we're at that lake. We were all black people Mm -hmm. around the lake. Mm -hmm. And then my aunt taught us how to garden and how to freeze and can. So this time I said, where are you from? She said the same thing. I'm from here. And I'm like, no, like before that, just like, do I sound funny? I'm from here. So I said, oh, maybe gardening didn't used to be popular. I just couldn't wrap my mind around her timidity because I think it's just from my own perspective of my ancestors were farmers. Like I do a lot of ancestry.com stuff, you know, and look at their jobs and they were after slavery, enslavement, they were still farmers. And my family was just so handy with the land, just like really knew how to work it. So I was like to this lady, where are you from? Yeah. Let's listen to this. But I was was surprised because it wasn't what I experienced or expected. We will probably have another run in at a coffee shop and she'll 
want an explanation. Well, it just sounds like this is so deep in your soul and really like at the cellular level. And, you know, maybe you have some kind of a epigenetic memory of these things that maybe she doesn't feel quite as connected to, perhaps. I don't know. Right. I, I hope yeah. it awakens for her. Do you? I do so much. Did you ever notice that you meet up with the same people at the same places at different times? And it's like, wow, we left the house at the same time to get to this place. I have a feeling that we will meet up again and I will have some explaining to do. Yes. When I've been doing my DNA studies and I found out that my deepest matrilinear tribe is the pygmy people, I was like, of course they are, you know, and then they do the honey dance and I'm like, Oh my goodness, yes. What's the honey dance? A lot of their culture, the forest pygmies, and they are different groups in Bute, lots of different names. People just use that as a collective kind of statement for diminutively sized people. Their culture, some of them, it revolves around honey and bees. Ugh. Yeah, they do rituals and like love dances around honey. Ugh. See, I love bees and honey. Yeah. Everyone calls me Pam, but my full name is Pamela, and it means all honey. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so I always love hearing about bee magic around the world. Yeah, I love everything about them. I like how they live in the forest, are able to sight it at night, just pitch black sky, and they can just get through it without cutting their feet or running into any wayward branches. And it just feels natural to me to hear those kind of stories. And I want to keep those alive. I love that. On that note, we're going to take another quick break and we'll be right back. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab is a specialty fragrance house currently celebrating its 20th year, now based in Philadelphia. Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab specializes in formulating body and household blends with a dark, romantic, gothic tone. And over the years, they've collaborated with so many of my heroes, including Neil Gaiman, Guillermo del Toro, and the Jim Henson Company. They continually return to inspirations drawn from history, mythology, literature, pop culture, and fine art, and they have a sister store called Twilight Alchemy Lab that creates oils blended and consecrated specifically for use in witchcraft and ritual magic. Keep up with their latest seasonal perfume releases by looking them up on social media. And Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab also now has a YouTube channel where they share scent reviews, announcements, and original video art. Perfume archives and customer reviews going back many years can be found at the fanrun bpal.org web forum. And of course, you can order all of Black Phoenix Alchemy Lab's decadent perfumes, oils, and more at blackphoenixalchemylab.com. Would you like even more Witch Wave? Do you wish you could hear from me and my other bewitching guests on a weekly basis? Then come join us on Patreon, where you'll get bi-weekly bonus Witch Wave Plus episodes, ad-free Witch Wave episodes, and detailed show notes for all. 
Rewards for some tiers also include magical merch and contests where you can win Witchly prizes each month, as well as early heads up about my workshops before they sell out. And all backers get access to our exclusive digital coven, where I lead monthly online rituals and where you can connect to a community of other wonderful Witch Wave witches around the world. So head on over to patreon.com slash witchwave and sign up. It's a fabulous way to get more magic in your life and to support the show. Thank you so much. Welcome back to The Witch Wave. Today, I'm speaking with Priestess Stephanie Rose Bird. Priestess Stephanie, one of the ways in which you describe yourself is as an elder, capital E, elder. And I love speaking to elders. And I would love to know why you feel it's important to identify as an elder publicly at this stage of your life. It's something... I embrace wholeheartedly. I embraced my maidenhood, my motherhood, and I'm embracing the crone too. I've always had this long, dark colored hair, close to black, and I started growing it out. I looked like a skunk because half of my hair was white and the other (laughs) hair was black. And so I'm like, I'm taking it off. And even the stylist was like, are you sure? Because my hair was like shoulder length. Are you absolutely sure you want to do this? And I'm like, absolutely sure. And I just looked at all of that. I was like, good riddance, because I feel free now. I feel myself. It's like I'm in my skin. I'm fully in my skin right now. I'm not hiding and going to the dye box every six to eight weeks. Yes. So that's one of the ways. And then, you know, again, to cite my lovely retreat that I go on. I went last year and I went again this year and they call us elders when you're over a certain age. And one of them asked me, because I had that black hair at that time, are you really an elder? (laughs) Yes, yes, (laughs) I am an elder. So you get called it, but then you feel it. Yes, yes. You feel that you understand things better or more measured. It's just a different way of being. Hell yes. I would love to also get a sense of your relationship to the words witch and witchcraft. I think you used the word witchcraft earlier. How do you feel about that word in regard to yourself and your magic or just in general? That's an interesting question because... I remember I was at a book signing and people seemed to love the work. You know, that was when I had written A Healing Grove. One gentleman stood up. I don't know if this was such a gentlemanly thing to say, but he was like, you seem so nice, so great. How can you call yourself a witch? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I had to sort of break him into, you know, all of the different meanings that come with being a witch instead of some Disney cartoon idea of a witch. I embrace that. Like how I first got onto the path was through alchemy and witchcraft. And some young people my age brought me into their coven and I loved it. It will always be a part of me. Was this coven in New Jersey? Yeah, right around where I lived. Nice. So you were able to find community even back when you were growing up? It was very small because it was there, the family of daughters and myself. Wow. How did you find one another? There's a knowingness. 
that you can feel it from someone and you know, mm. maybe you ask a few questions, be sure, sure it's safe and then figure it's safe. How lucky you were able to find community back then. One of my cousins also called himself a warlock and he gave me a lot of readings to do that actually I found out later are very connected to hoodoo, the Albertus Magnus. Sure. Books and things like that. So he gave me those readings and just asked me never to tell, to identify him that way publicly. So (gasps) I will not always refrain from doing that. So I've had these different family members doing different kinds of things. And I think that's why I have an appreciation for Ila Ife, Ife, Ife path, because of my uncle that I write about extensively. And I think I dedicated Six Stones, Roots and Bones to him. I know I dedicated one of my books to my lovely uncle, who was a priest of Shango. And then, you know, my grandmothers both had their different things. One was a spiritualist Mm -hmm. minister. And the other was an intuitive who did like all different kinds of readings and dream divination and things like that. Uh, The grandmas know, don't they? Yeah. And they pass it on. So it comes naturally. But when I found hoodoo, I was like, yes, (laughs) because even though I embrace witchcraft, like all I really saw were white witches. Mm -hmm. So I thought nothing wrong with that. But when I saw that these informants from the turn of the century and afterwards were mostly all African-American, I think they're 98 to 99% African-American. I thought, how cool is this? And then there's all of these herbs and stone magic and metal magic right in there, very akin to witchcraft. So I thought, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's something that happens when one connects to one's own ancestral magic. I know that's happened for me. You know, I was raised Jewish and I come from a long line of Jewish people and really deepening that connection for me has elevated my witchcraft overall. So I totally understand why that might really feel extra resonant for you. Yeah, it does. You know, I identify obviously as a Black person and as an African in America. I told you I'm all into ancestry. My second biggest chunk of bloodline is from the British Isles. Mm -hmm. So I don't feel like I am appropriating witchcraft. I also know who those figures are. They're not like some mystery figures. Like I know who the people are that are from Scotland and Ireland and England. Sure. So I feel that's my ancestry too. Absolutely. I love that. And it really feels like you've been able to take all these different threads from your own life and weave them together into something that's both ancient but also new. I mean, you said you have the word modern grimoire on the cover Mm -hmm. of your book, right? It feels like you're moving things forward. In our final minutes together, what is your intention or your vision for the next generations of magic makers. Do you have some kind of hope or wish you'd love to leave us with? I hope that we'll have more freedom. There's so much turning back with women's rights, with affirmative action, with things like that. So I tremble in my boots to think about what could happen to witches that are out, to hoodoos that are out. I hope that we will be shrouded by the ancestors and positive ashe and be able to move forward boldly and with power and purpose. Mm. 
Blessed be. So mote it be. Yes, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. And Priestess Stephanie, there's so much we didn't get to. I know people are going to want to connect with you, read your books, attend any presentations you give. What's the best way for people to do that? Okay, so I have a website, www.stephanieroseford.com. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then I go on Instagram a lot. And so there I am at S period, the R period bird, B-I-R-D. I am on Twitter and Facebook, but I really don't care for them anymore. <laughs> yes, relatable. Yeah, so hit me up on Instagram follow me. You'll get to see my happenings and insights and also come to my website and you'll get like the full picture of what books are coming out and things like that. So how fabulous. Well, congratulations again on the release of African-American Magic. And thank you so much for spending time with me today. It was such a pleasure. That's it for the show. Thank you again to Priestess Stephanie Rose Bird for sharing her green and black magic with me. Do you have questions, feedback, need some witchly advice, or just want to share something magical that happened to you recently? Drop us an email at witchwavepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you, and you just might make it on the Witchwire. The Witch Wave is a phantasmophile production written and produced by me, Pam Grossman. This episode was recorded and edited by Josh Wilcox and myself. Our theme music is the song Hand and Eye by Lycanthia. Our new Witch Wave logo was designed by Thunderwing. Special thanks go to Matt Freeman, Lara Antal, and Cece Pascal. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website and now buy Witchwave merch at witchwavepodcast.com. Please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app and give us lots and lots of sparkly stars. It really, truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at WitchwavePod. And you can check out my witch emoji for iPhone by going to witchemoji.com or downloading it in the App Store. Please consider ordering my book, Witchcraft, and or picking up my book, Waking the Witch, which are both available everywhere now. And if you want more Witch Wave or you would just like to support the show, please join us over on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash witchwave. Thank you so much for listening. Witches are the future. I'll catch you next time on The Witch Wave.